Stay tuned for a word from the Lord. Our sins have alienated us from God, from His fellowship, from His love, from His forgiveness, from relationship. But because this baby would grow up and die on a cross for our behalf, we're entitled to such privilege and fellowship with God that most of the time we can't fathom it. He gave of Himself to do what we couldn't do ourselves. And this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas from a word from the Lord. Today, Foley Beach brings us a special message for Christmas Eve. It is entitled, What God Has Done for Us. How much does God love us? So much that He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And this message was preached last Christmas Eve, 2006. A few nights ago, I went to see the movie, The Nativity. The movie is an attempt to describe the events we celebrate here tonight on the movie screen. And I thought they did a pretty good job. But as I've reflected on the movie, one thing seemed to jump out. How Joseph and Mary were such ordinary people. Actually, how all the people in the story seemed just to be ordinary people trying to live their lives under Roman tyranny. I guess I've read and heard this story so often that it's easy to view it as this miraculous God thing and that we forget that these folks were ordinary people just like you and me. We've gathered here tonight to remember and to celebrate the birth of Jesus, which occurred a little more than 2,000 years ago, an event which transformed history, an event which transformed reality and an event which has transformed many of our lives. The birth of Jesus was a supernatural birth. The birth of Jesus was a miraculous birth. It was an intervention into the natural order by the divine. God entering time and space. No birth has made a difference in people's lives more than the birth that we celebrate tonight. The Gospel of Luke tells us that God loved the human race so much that He entered into creation by being born as a baby, a baby who would be a savior, a baby who would be called the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, a baby who would be given the name Jesus, or in the Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua, meaning the Lord is our salvation. To the secular culture of that day, this birth was no different from hundreds and thousands of other births. Just a poor woman with no place to stay. Another one of those Hebrew babies 
another possible slave for the empire. But for many people, this birth was different. They were expecting it. They knew the prophecies. They knew that God had given special words of knowledge to men hundreds of years before about this coming Messiah. And these men wrote them down. Hundreds of these prophecies from the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before His birth, words were given to Moses, to what Hebrew tribe He would be born, the tribe of Judah. Words were given to Samuel, to what family He would be born. Of all the families in the earth, it'd be of the line of David. Words were given to Micah, where He would be born. Of all the cities in the earth, Bethlehem. Words were given to Daniel about when he would be born. Between four and five hundred years after Daniel's life. A hundred year time span in which the Messiah must come. To Isaiah, what his ministry would be. That he would proclaim salvation. He would heal the sick. He would care for the poor. And he would die as an offering for sin. To Zechariah, in what manner he would die. That he would be raised up and pierced through. And to David in Psalm 16, that he would not remain dead, that his body wouldn't see decay. No, this was not a surprise to some, but still many people missed it. They had their eyes on a different kind of Messiah, one who would lead them to victory over the Romans, one who would usher in wealth and prosperity, one who would use God's power to destroy their enemies. Many missed it then. And many miss it still today. That God's plan was to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. On that night years ago, we're told an angel appeared to broadcast the news to some nearby shepherds. They were outside of the town of Bethlehem in the fields and the countryside doing their shepherding thing, taking care of the sheep. And we're told the angel says to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, a baby lying in a manger. Now after hearing this, the shepherds trekked into Bethlehem to see what was going on. Not every day it happens, and in their case, not every night that an angel appears. And then we're told that these host of angels, I'm sure they were quite freaked out. But there they found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus lying in the manger, that little wooden box that's used to feed farm animals. Of course, they didn't know the details of this baby's life, that this child would grow up to be a great teacher for God, that this child would grow up to be a miracle worker, that this child would grow up and heal the sick, bring the dead back to life, challenge the religious establishment of his day, that this child would offer his life as a sacrifice for sins on a Roman cross and then rise again from the dead, that this child would do for the human race what the human race could not do for itself. All they knew was that their dark sky had been brightened lit up by an angel and then a host. Now these words from the angel, I think, still speak to us in several ways today. 
The first one, it says, this is good news of great joy for all people. All people. This baby was born not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. This baby was born not just for Middle Easterners, but for all people. This baby was born not just for the rich or the poor, but for all people. This baby was born not just for the political and intellectual elite. It was born for all people. Some people want to believe that Jesus is only for their type of people, for their group, for their race, for their political persuasion. And other people want to believe that Jesus just isn't relevant anymore. Quote, civilization is too advanced for primitive religion. I mean, after all, we have the Hubble Space Telescope. String theory, the Intel processor, DVDs, iPods, and we can wage war on our computers and satellites. God was saying to those shepherds and He's saying to us, to all the human race, I love you so much and you're so valuable to me that I'm willing to show you by being born as a baby and doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. This is good news of great joy for all people. Second thing that the angel told the shepherds is that a Savior has been born. A Savior is someone who helps. A Savior is someone who helps someone when there's a critical need. He's an advocate. He's a mediator. A Savior is someone who does something for you that you can't do for yourself. I'm reminded of some of the storm stories on the Weather Channel. Like one where there's someone clinging to a tree and there's raging floodwaters below and there's a helicopter hovering and saves them. Thus the term, I've been saved. This baby is a savior and he saves us in many ways, but the primary way he saves us is he saves us from our sins. You and I have all been touched by sin. Our own sin and the sins of others. We've been touched by hatred, selfishness, immorality, materialism, pride, lies, racism. We've all been touched. And what's more incredible is that none of us can stand in the mirror of God's perfection and claim that we're without sin. All of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Each one of us in no uncertain terms, has said to God, God, I don't want you in my life. Most of us dress it up. I was having a bad day. Or this little lie won't hurt. But you don't know what they've done to me. My wife doesn't please me anymore. I can't help myself. I'm addicted. It's still sin. And because we're all tainted with it, we need a Savior. We need someone who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Matthew, in his gospel, in his take on this incredible story, shares about the angel appearing to Joseph and telling Joseph what he's supposed to do and that he's supposed to name the child Jesus. Matthew one twenty one, You are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Savior, this baby, will save people from their sins. One prophecy 
that I'd like to share. It's from Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And that's what this baby did on the cross 33 years later. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He was a Savior. A third thing this passage tells us, and I think this is the most radical of it all, is that God Himself was going to be born. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. This is what the church calls the incarnation. God entering the human race in the form of Jesus, a baby. Christianity does not teach that Jesus was just another human being, just another prophet, just another religious leader, just another do-gooder. No. Christianity teaches that this baby was both God and human at the same time. That in Him was God Himself. The very glory of God was on Him. The very essence of God. God from God. Light from light. Very God from very God, as we say in the Creed. Listen to these words from the Bible as they describe Him. He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 Colossians 1.19 For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Hebrews 1.3 The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. John 1.4, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus said in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. One time Jesus and His disciples were talking and Philip asked Jesus in John 14, Lord, show us the Father that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you so long, he'd been walking with him for about three years. Don't you know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? No, the Bible does not proclaim Jesus is just a great teacher or just a miracle worker or just a healer or just a great ethicist or a brilliant philosopher, an insightful psychologist. As radical as this may sound, God orchestrated this event so He could enter the human race and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. A little over 40 years ago, another baby was born here in the United States. 
But this birth did not go as planned. While being born, Rick Holt was strangled by an umbilical cord, leaving him brain damaged and unable to use his arms and his legs. When he was nine months old, the doctors told his parents that he would be a vegetable for the rest of his life and they should put him in an institution. But his parents didn't agree because they saw his eyes and how his eyes would follow them around the room. So they chose to raise him at home. When Rick was 11 years old, they took him to the engineering department of Tufts University to see if there was anything they could do to help Rick communicate. They said, no way. There's nothing going on in his brain. His father said, well, tell him a joke. They did. Rick laughed. Rick Riley of Sports Illustrated writes this. He says, turns out a lot was going on in his brain. Rigged up with a computer that allowed him to control the cursor by touching a switch with the side of his head. Rick was finally able to communicate. First words, go Bruins. When in high school, a classmate was in an accident and was left paralyzed from the waist down. The school organized a charity run to raise money for him, and Rick told his father that he wanted to do it. His father, whose name is Dick, had never run more than one mile, but he pushed Rick for five miles in the run. He said, then it was me who was handicapped. I was sore for two weeks. But that charity run changed Rick's life. He typed, Dad, when we were running, it felt like I wasn't disabled anymore. That run also changed Dick's life. He became obsessed with giving Rick that feeling. So he got himself in shape and in 1979 was ready to run the Boston Marathon by pushing Rick in a wheelchair. Race officials wouldn't let him register. They didn't quite know what to do with him because they weren't one runner and they weren't a wheelchair either. So for a few years, they just ran with the massive field without registering. In 1983... They ran a marathon so fast that they qualified for the Boston the following year. And run it they did. Then someone suggested to Dick that they try a triathlon. He remembered thinking, how's a guy who's never learned to swim, hadn't ridden a bike since he was six, going to haul his 110-pound son in a triathlon? But he tried. And he did it. They've completed now 212 triathlons, including four 15-hour Ironmans in Hawaii. They've run 85 marathons. At ages 65 and 43, Dick and Rick finished their 24th Boston Marathon. Out of more than 20,000 starters, they came in 5,083. Their marathon best time Two hours and 40 minutes, only 35 minutes off the world record. Why did I share with you about Rick and Dick? An incredible story, yes. An incredible father, yes. Incredible son, yes. But on this Christmas Eve, what a beautiful illustration of what God has done for us by being born as a human baby. Dick did for Rick what he could not do for himself. He ran 
He biked, he swam, he carried him, he hydrated him, he kept him warm, he kept him cool. He brought him joy and happiness. He did for his child what his child could not do for himself. And this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Our sins have alienated us from God, from his fellowship, from his love, from his forgiveness, from relationship. But because this baby would grow up and die on a cross for our behalf, we're entitled to such privilege and fellowship with God that most of the time we can't fathom it. He gave of himself to do what we couldn't do ourselves. When I read the story of Dick and Rick, I couldn't help thinking what love Dick had for his son. If this doesn't demonstrate what love is, I don't know what would. And yet you could multiply Dick's love by a thousand and you would not get anywhere near the love that God has for you. He's gone to extraordinary measures to demonstrate his love for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God has done for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. To give us forgiveness of our sins. To make a way for a relationship with us that's deeper and more meaningful than any relationship we could have. This is what Christmas is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. There were many in Israel who missed the love that God sent in that baby. They were not expecting that kind of baby. I wonder what you might be looking for or expecting this night. What is it that you're spending your life on? Could it be that the answer you seek was wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger? Could it be that the one whom we remember tonight carries the key to your heart and to your happiness? Could it be that this child holds not only the key to eternal life, but the key to real life? I submit to you tonight that he is. Some of y'all have played church. Some of y'all have heard the words. But I guess what I'd like to ask, have you really just ever said, Jesus, I'm yours. Have your way in me. Forgive me of my sins and enter in and have your way in my life. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray again. As we pray, I want to invite you to pray in your own way because some of you need to pray and you know what you need to pray. And then for some of you, you've never asked Jesus into your life and I invite you to do that as well. Open yourself to him. Just say a simple prayer. Lord, come in. Forgive me of my sin and help me live for you where meek souls will receive him still. The dear Christ enters in. Amen. 
Thank you, Foley. If you would like to hear this message again, you can visit our website, awordfromthelord.org. If you would like to share this message with a friend or family member, you can order this message for a love gift of any amount. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, please visit our website, awordfromthelord.org. If you don't have internet access, you can also order this message by writing to us. Our address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. And from all of us here at A Word from the Lord, we wish you a very Merry Christmas.